Underwriting for the production of AutoLine this week has been provided by... AutoLine is brought to you in part by the commercial vehicle brands of Tenneco. Pioneering global ideas for cleaner air and quieter, smoother, and safer transportation. Warner, developing advanced technologies specifically aimed at reducing emissions, increasing fuel economy, and improving performance. Our award-winning innovations extend from turbocharging and cooling systems to friction materials and diesel cold start technology. Built on a century-long reputation of innovation and reliability, we have the track record that proves our technology can help meet the challenges of the commercial truck and off-highway industry. Deloitte's Automotive Group is at the forefront, driving transformation and tackling complex challenges. Whether you are interested in globalizing operations, optimizing supply chains, mitigating enterprise risk, or driving innovation, Deloitte can help develop solutions that create long-lasting value. To learn more about Deloitte's Automotive Group, visit us online at deloitte.com us backslash automotive. From the Auto Line Studios, here is your host, John McElroy. I want to thank you all for joining us on AutoLine this week, where we're going to be talking about one of the most amazing car companies in the business. Spectacular growth, really interesting what they're doing from a marketing standpoint, and I'm talking about Subaru of America. Today, we've got the president and chief operating officer, Tom Dahl, joining us for this discussion. Tom, it's great to have you on AutoLine this week. Thanks for having me, John. It's great to see Michelle and Joe here as well. So yeah, and I'll mention that. Interview. Joe White, the transportation editor with Reuters, and Michelle Krebs, a senior analyst with AutoTrader. And of course, great to have the both of you Thanks here. Thanks for having us. Thanks for being here. Tom, I'm blown away by the growth that we're seeing at Subaru of America. You cracked 500,000 unit sales last year. My question is, how high is up for this little company? That's a really good question because no matter how many vehicles we bring in and how much extra capacity we add on, once we get them to the retailers, they find a way to sell them. So it's really a lot of fun to see really what it could be. But we definitely feel we could easily be probably 200,000, maybe 250,000 higher based on the demand that we're currently seeing in the market. So if you had well, more production capacity, you'd sell a whole lot more cars. We believe so, yes. Well, that's a, funny, funny you mentioned that number because that is roughly the number that you'd get from a new assembly plant. Uh, when is Subaru going to uh, make that decision? Well, we're going to be expanding our factory in Indiana already. You've probably seen we're going to be bringing the Impreza line over in the fourth quarter of 2016, so we'll get an extra 100,000 capacity when that comes on. We also produce the Camry at our factory in Indiana as well. And at some point, the Camry production will begin to migrate out of SIA back into Georgetown, Kentucky, or some other factory that Toyota will put that production in. But so, you didn't answer Joe's question. What about a new plant? Well, I think, I think with the existing factories that we have in, in Lafayette, Indiana, and the capacity that we're adding, we think we're going to be okay for the, for the medium term. Meeting 2020-ish time frame? 2018, 2020 in that time frame, yes. And then you'd take another look at the situation. That's correct. So And so the Camry is definitely going to migrate out to some other facility. It'll eventually migrate out to some other facility, yes. Okay. Tom, I'd like to look at some other numbers, not just sales volume. So some numbers I looked at, you had the lowest incentives in the business. The way uh, we calculated at Kelly Blue Book, it's at $754 per vehicle. By comparison, Toyota's the second lowest at something around 1,700. You also have the fastest days to turn at something like 27 days. 
It's phenomenal, phenomenal. How do you, you get away with not doing uh, more incentives? Well, we work really hard on our branding and our marketing, and we, we actually have gotten so many awards and accolades over the years that we, we really work hard with our retailers to sell the value that's in our products, when you, to sell the, the crash test worthiness from the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety, the Consumer Report rankings, the Kelly Blue Book rankings that, we've, that we achieve. And so we try, to, we try to stay away from price to the extent that we can when we're on the showroom floor. We, we really had to work hard to do that because there's a tendency in the car business, as you know, to immediately go to price. You know, and we try to stay away from that and build value in the products. But it's a mindset and a culture change. It really takes a long time. It, it, we didn't just get here by accident. This is a program that started back in 2006 and 2007 that we've really continued to work and, and progress and continue to do the things that are necessary to build value in our products. How do you change that at the dealership level, especially at the sales force? Because as you know, they're just incentivized to get their, their commission on selling a car. What did you put in place to get that culture change? It was hard because when this all came in place back in 2006, 2007, we weren't doing very well. And so I, we had the advantage when we weren't doing well to kind of reset. We reset our products, we made our vehicles, we worked very hard with the product planners at Fuji Heavy Industries to make them larger, to make them more fuel efficient, to increase the utility of them. And at the same time we were working on the products, we also worked on our sales and our marketing strategy. We moved away from selling the products based on price, including our own advertising to selling based on the value and the image that we wanted to create when those products were coming to market. So Subaru, I think, has done a really good job of, of, of marketing mm -hmm. its technology and marketing itself as a, as a safety leader. Um, today, you had, you had a, a little bit of a hiccup in that where you had to recall some vehicles because of problems with the automatic, you know, the, the autonomous braking system or the collision avoiding braking system. And I'm just interested in, in, in how you see the sort of the risk reward of pushing technology because advanced technology um, is advanced, but it's also sometimes you know, stuff that doesn't necessarily work the way you expect. Um, how, are, how do you manage that, and, do you, and do you, does a, an event like this recall with the brake system cause you to say, well, maybe we need to slow down a little bit? No, this, this uh, recall system, uh, that, or this recall that we're currently having with the uh, EyeSight system, um, really is a very minor issue. In fact, it's so minor that it, it's really something that they just think could potentially happen, and, and it hasn't really happened. Um, but the idea is to, to bring these technologies out to make sure that they get integrated into the vehicle because ultimately, if you, th if you see where this is going down the road, with vehicle-to-vehicle -vehicle communication, vehicle-to-infrastructure um, happening, this is, what's gonna, this is really the start of, of all of this with us. Our EyeSight driver assist technology is the best in the business by the rated by the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety, so we're really excited about it. And it's just a minor, it's, it's really just a minor recall. When you come in, it's, I think it's a three minute fix. You know, they, they, they have to put it into the, uh, the engine control module, fix it, and the customer's out in 15 minutes. It's not a big deal. Can I ask a follow-up question on this though? So Subaru overall is a relatively small company. Um, you, you, have a, you have a relationship with Toyota. As you're looking at these advanced technologies, um, where do you get the scale to kind of do those in an economical way. Is it from Toyota or do you get it from, you know, from different kinds of relationships with suppliers? It's, it's a really, that's a really good question because uh, Fuji Heavy Industries is one of the smaller worldwide manufacturers, as you know. I think our total capacity worldwide is about 960,000 vehicles. So we don't have the enormous uh, economies of scale that other manufacturers have. But I've never underestimated the ability of the Japanese and our, our Japanese parent company to engineer, build, and construct something 
that's going to be very cost efficient into the marketplace. So a lot of the technology that Fuji develops, it's, own, it's their own proprietary system. Like the iSight system is their own system. No, nobody else. It's, it's, not, like, it's not a purchased from Denso or whoever. Well, we have a, a shelf. No, it's, it, we have somebody manufactured for us, you know, but, but it's, it's our proprietary system or it's Fuji Heavy Industries proprietary system. That raises another interesting question. We're hearing a lot here in Detroit from Sergio Marchionne at Fiat Chrysler that small companies can exist. They don't have the economies of scale, and obviously he's out shopping for a partner. Can Fuji Heavy Industries Subaru continue as a standalone small company? Of course. Well, we've proven it already. When you look at the results that we've been able to achieve and the dif market differentiation, I think there's always going to be places in the market for companies that, that can occupy certain niches in the marketplace. And that's kind of what we have, right? I mean, when you look at where we are with all-wheel drive, the horizontally opposed boxer engine, we are really special and unique compared to everybody else that's in the market. And there's a certain group of customers that appreciate that type of technology and are willing to pay for it. Tom, even though Subaru of America has enjoyed spectacular success, that's not necessarily true for Subaru in other places in the world. I've got to believe whether it's Europe, Japan, China, elsewhere, they're looking at what you have done, and it's been largely you that's done this, of growing this company. What do your counterparts within the company say? How did you make this happen? Well, we have, we have uh, many visitors that come to us and, and visit uh, to see exactly what it is we're doing and how we're doing it. But it takes a certain discipline to do what we've been able to do. And we've been fortunate um, in that, you know, we, we essentially can work very closely with our retailers and with our, our zones and our regional offices around the country, including our two independent distributors, to make sure that everybody is focused on what we need to do to continue to grow the brand and to make a difference in the marketplace. Otherwise, you know, what the, the point is and what Michelle's driving at is, you know, why Subaru? We're only 3% of the market. We could go away tomorrow and nobody would really miss us. So we have to work doubly hard to make sure that we prove that we belong here. What was it that really clicked with you? As you said, 2006 or so time frame, you said we have to reset. And to your point, you don't advertise, you know, horsepower necessarily, fuel economy numbers. You talk about love. It's what makes a Subaru a Subaru. And you've got dogs in your ads. What led you to say, this is the path that we've got to take? Well, we were trying to advertise a market like everybody else was. And of course, we don't have the marketing or advertising resources that everybody else does either. So when we were sitting back saying to ourselves, how can we compete, we made certain assumptions. We made certain assumptions that people, if they're interested in our products, they'll find out about our fuel economy. They'll find out about our crash test safety. They'll find out about some of the things that are important to them. So what could we do to break through? How could we, how could we come up with a, a marketing theme and an advertising theme that's going to break through and do what we needed to do, which is to attract people to our brand? And that's really was the genesis of the love campaign. We actually asked our customers, what is it about Subaru that you like? Oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. And that, of course, led to a discussion, well, geez, can you, can you, can you brand an emotion? Because nobody else has really done this before, right? I mean, we, we, were, we were the first brand that, that came out and said, we're going to say love. It's what makes a Subaru a Subaru. And we would go to auto shows or different events, and people would come up to us and say, you're either, you're either brilliant or you're crazy, <laughs> you know, because you, you're trying to brand an emotion. And that's very difficult to do. How are you doing with millennials? They're obviously they're a growing part of the market. I think they're at like 28% of the buyers right now. They just passed baby boomers as the largest right. single cohort in the population. Right. So it's yeah, it, official it, now. It, it's really interesting because when you look at the purchasing power of millennials, um, somewhere between 2017 and 2018, 
their purchasing power is going to be equal to or begin to exceed that of the baby boomers. As the baby boomers begin to retire and save money for their retirement, the millennial generation with, with uh, housing formation and things like that are, are really coming into the fore. Um, we're kind of an interesting brand in that regard because although we have appealed to a lot of baby boomer people with our traditional line with Legacy and Outback, on the other hand with Crosstrek and Preza, WX and STI, we appeal to a lot of millennial purchasers as well. So we have, we have kind of almost like a barbell in terms of our market demographics. Yes, we've got the baby boomers on the one hand and we've got the millennials here on the other. And so we believe that if we can play it right, the millennials will move up into Foresters. They'll buy a Legacies. They'll buy Outbacks. And they'll continue to move with us. So we, we think we're positioned very well with the millennial generation. Is there anything missing from your lineup? I was just thinking about I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Is there anything, what's missing from your lineup? Um, you, 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 have, you had a larger SUV in the Tribeca, which is not there anymore. Um, do you want that something like that back? Um, but what else do you think might be missing from your lineup to achieve you know, this barbell kind of... Uh, Goldilocks thing I, you're looking I, for. I, I think uh, you, you nailed it. I mean, if I if I look at the lineup today, and, and one product that's missing would be a seven-passenger vehicle. Because with the millennial generation now, the average age is 28. They tend to get married at 30, uh, generally. Uh, begin to have children. We want to make sure that when they do have the children, we have the product that they can move into. And a product that's going to have the crash test, test safety that all of our vehicles has, has the fuel economy and can give them the utility that they need. So we're working on a seven-passenger vehicle that's been announced. I'm sure you've, you've done the research on it. And we plan to bring it out in, in over the next couple of years. But it's going to be exciting. It's not going to be a Tribeca. It's going to be larger. We learned our lesson from the Tribeca. It's going to have the right power. It'll have the right um, engine performance and so forth. So we're really excited about that. And I think that, that can help us generate even more interest with the millennial generation because it's different, right? We, we, don't have a, a, we don't have a Honda minivan or a Chrysler minivan. It's going to be a Subaru seven passenger, which is going to be fun. It's going to be exciting. You're not going to call it a minivan, are you? No. Tom, uh, you talked about your great confidence in the Japanese engineers at Fuji Heavy Industries, the parent of Subaru. But as you know, right now in, in the CAFE legislation and even the zero emission vehicle credits that you need to sell in California and about a dozen other states, this is the easy part. Around 2017, 2018, it takes the hockey stick and things really start to get tough. And that's where I've got to believe scale will matter. How are you going to handle that? Well, we, um, we, we believe that with the engine technologies that we have coming, we, we're working on our versions of plug-in hybrids and so forth. We believe uh, we're going to be able to participate in that, and we're going to be able to have the products that are going to come. Now, the question really becomes is, just like it is today, will customers buy those vehicles, right? I mean, if gas prices continue to stay low, what's the overall size of the market going to be? So that, that, that only time will tell. But we believe the products that we have in the pipeline are going to be competitive and will allow us the opportunity to compete with everybody else. So we're, we're excited. We think, we think we have the products that can, that can help us to get to that level. But it's going to be a challenge. There's no question about it. What's your plan for meeting the California uh, zero emission vehicle uh, mandate? Some, Toyota, for instance, and several other companies are, are fielding fuel cell vehicles, which have all sorts of liabilities. Um, then, of course, there's electric cars, uh, which have other liabilities. Have you decided where, you, where you're going to play? And, and again, to John's question, how, do you, how does a company that's relatively small uh, play in those expensive sandboxes? We have to, that's a, that's a really good question too, Joe. I mean, we, we have to watch what's happening in the market and what's happening in the 
in the field of battle here. So we're watching the battle lines being formed and, and uh, keeping our options open, if you will. Because a, a smaller company, to Michelle's point earlier, being a smaller company, we can't bet wrong. The bets that we have to make, we have to make sure that they're right. And so we're watching to see what's happening. We're watching the various technologies as, that are being developed with fuel cell and flow batteries and all the other things that people are talking about. And then we'll be determining what the best approach should be for our company. Is this where, is this where the relationship with Toyota comes in? You keep taking my questions. <laughs> <laughs> That's Sorry, probably a Michelle. question more you'd have to ask the, the project managers at Fuji Heavy Industries who have more of the direct day-to-day -day contact mm -hmm. uh, with the folks from Toyota. But you have done, you, you've done the production, you've done the, you have the Subaru BRZ, which is basically the same as the uh, Scion FRS. I mean, do you see more of those kinds of approaches for expanding your line or uh, doing those kinds of technologies? That's, again, that's, that's probably more of a question for Fuji Heavy Industries, but remember, you know, we're committed to all-wheel drive mm -hmm. and the boxer engine. Except and BRZ. And, well, except for BRZ, but it does have a boxer engine in mm -hmm. it, so it has the Subaru DNA as part of it. But all of these different things are going to have to come together at, in order to hit the fuel economy standards that we're talking about. You know, we're going to need plug-ins. We're going to need zero emission vehicles. We're going to need, you know, different types of drivetrain technologies that are going to be developing over time. Because these are, it's challenging. It's going to be challenging not just for us, but for the industry to get to, was it 54.5 miles per gallon? It's, it's not going to be simple. Well, speaking of BRZ, that everybody kind of thought, oh, wait a minute, you're breaking the rule of, uh, that you set of having an all-wheel all drive across the line. Will we see more of that kind of uh, rule breaking? We're committed to to all wheel drive. We're we're an all wheel drive market specialist. We're going to we're committed to all wheel drive. That. Tom, it's intriguing that you say you could sell up to two hundred and fifty thousand more cars a year if you had the capacity, and you're you're taking the Toyota Camry out of your plant, and you're you're going to get some capacity there, and you're going to break some bottlenecks and get some more. You're being very cautious. Do you, do you Subaru see a downturn out in the market and you don't want to be coming out with a new plant just as the market starts to correct? I, unless something happens in the economy that I don't know about, at least for these next few years, we should be okay. I mean, interest rates continue to be at historically high levels or low levels. Low. I, I know they're talking about potential rate increases, but, um, you know, it's, 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 it's a balance, right? I mean, if, if, if interest rates rise too quickly, you know, if credit gets turned off, the market tends to go south. What happens to exchange rates? I know they say they're not, they're not supposed to look at exchange rates when they're determining interest rate policy, but I think you have to um, because it leads to competitiveness, right? So there's a lot of, lot of things that are in the market. And, and worldwide, as you know, the demand, businesses can be anywhere today, as you know. Ma goods can be manufactured and produced everywhere. So the, the reality is I, I don't see a major dip or a major recession over these next few years. Now, I just think we're cautious because of our history. Yeah. Tom, you, you have a whole lot of good news at Subaru. So what are your biggest challenge, your biggest challenges that you spend a lot of your time working on? That's a good question, Michelle. I, I, I would say it's going to be fun. Over, this industry has always been fun, but it's even going to be more fun over the next five to seven to 10 years as the baby boomer generation begins to retire out of our company and we've got a new generation of, of workers that comes in that we have to instill the Subaru culture and, and all of the things that uh, we've had to go through as a management team that I, don't, I certainly wouldn't want them to have to go through again. So 
I think the biggest thing for us uh, and for Subaru is this generational change that's coming. It's a generational change in terms of the workforce. It's a generational change in terms of the customers. Just like when I was coming up in the late 70s and early 80s, it was a generational change then as the boomers were coming up. Well, now there's this next generation that's coming up, and it's going to be fun. It's really going to be interesting to see how everything kind of plays out and where our role is going to be in the market. But we're excited about it. There's uh, all this talk of technology coming into cars, especially when you get into connected cars, talking to each other, V2V, vehicle-to-vehicle, vehicle-to-infrastructure, car sharing, uh, group car sharing and the like. What's your outlook of how that will impact the industry and what role can Subaru play? I, I personally, I think that if you, if you fast forward to the driverless car, I think that's further down the road. I mean, I think you'll maybe see it on interstate highways first, but driving around town or city streets with kids and balls crossing your way, it's a little, a little too dicey. And of course, they're going to have to figure out, you know, with, with uh, legal and, and, and some of the product liability things that occur, whether or not that can happen. But you'll definitely see it in infrastructure and vehicles communicating with each other. Um, and already, you know, NHTSA is, is working on bandwidth and making sure that all of this kind of technology happens within cars. It's not legislated yet, but you can see where it's headed. So at Subaru, and again, I mean, back to your point about you have to make the right bets at Subaru. Um, I mean, as you see this whole gamut of technologies that, that John just outlined, where are your priorities? Are you, I mean, for instance, are your priorities, look, we want to decide how to get people's smartphones integrated to our dashboard. That's number one. I mean, I'm just wondering, sort of, as you look at this laundry list of things that you could spend your money on, um, what are the sort of top priorities that you feel like your customers really want you to deal with? Well, in the short run, we still have to get better with uh, you know some of our our, our in-vehicle technologies like like Bluetooth, like voice recognition, um, those those navigation. We 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 have to get better with those. But there's the short-term things, and then there's longer-term things. So in the shorter term, we have to get better on some of these things because we want to make sure that the customer experience is a good one because we've acquired so many new customers over the last three years in particular, 60% of the customers that we're attracting to our brand today are coming from somewhere else. And so the experience that they have is completely different than the experience that you know, they had with their previous manufacturers. So we want to make sure we get that right first. And then we get into some of these more longer term issues. But first things first. When you mentioned those uh, specifically, pairing your phone, voice recognition, you really got dinged by the J.D. Power Customer Satisfaction Index. Were those the issues in particular that dropped Subaru down the list? What's, yeah, what's interesting about the uh, J.D. Power Initial Quality Survey, which is what you're referring to, John, is they don't wait. You know, there could be real quality issues, but everything gets weighted the same. And so really it's more of a customer satisfaction survey than it is anything else. And, and what, that's what, what hurt us. I mean, we spent a lot of time improving our, our navigation and our infotainment with the legacy and Outback, and we saw some positive results from some other sources earlier. But the customer is telling us in a lot of these areas, with not just legacy and Outback, within Prez and Forrester, that we have to do a better job. And that's, that's where we have to get a little bit better in the shorter term. Have you, par have you partnered at all with, uh, with, with Apple or Google on the, um, the, their respective smartphone integration systems? We're working, we're working with them uh, currently to potentially integrate them, but we haven't done anything official with them yet. I'm interested in the BRZ. That's been an interesting car because it kind of didn't fit the Subaru mold so much. Um, and we noticed on our um, 
we do a monthly report called the Scarcity Report of used cars. We're seeing a tremendous amount of searching for BRZ and WRX, and they're in short supply. Can you talk about kind of the used market and the demand there, too? Well, for just for BRZ or WRX, oh, just yeah, and every, those, but every, those always pop up on the list. It, 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 is, it is quite interesting. Um, our customer tends to hold their vehicle. Right. They, they, it's true what they say. They love the car. And as a result, they don't want to get rid of it. So <laughs> consequently, it ends up going and being given to the son or the daughter or the nephew or whatever. So it kind of stays in the family. So we have one of the longest trade cycles in the industry. And one of the things we'd like to do, obviously, like playing baseball, we like to turn it over a little bit more. The more we could turn the customer base over, the more we could get some more vehicle sales too. So in the used car market, for us, I know you're seeing some, or they're saying that anyway, there's some weakness in the used car market for other brands, but not for, not for us. Mm-hmm. Um, demand for Subarus in the used car market are strong. They're out, they're, they're crazy prices that they're getting in many cases. And in particular with WRX STI, you can't find them. Um, you know, people purchase those cars, they modify them, they put a lot of money into their into those vehicles. So consequently, they're not going to keep them for three or four years. They've got too much of their of their money and too much of their emotion tied up in the car. And it's the same way with all of the products, whether it's a Forester, a Legacy, a BRZ. BRZ is kind of a fun car because, you know, I think it was Motor Trend or somebody said at one point that it's the most fun non-turbo performance car in the market that you can drive. And if you ever drive one, you get the idea, you know, how fun it is just to drive that vehicle. And it, it does have a lot of the driving characteristics that are in WRX mm-hmm. and STI, which are two of the most fun performance cars that you can drive. Mm-hmm. Do you keep the BRZ in the lineup long term? It seems like a product that once it reaches the end of its life cycle, and you said, you know, you're committed to all-wheel drive, it doesn't seem like that's a product that you renew. Well, I think that'll be that'll depend on what happens with uh, as we go through the, the the cycle with this vehicle, what the relationship is with Toyota, what happens with the next generation of vehicle. But uh, I think there's a place for the BRZ in our in our product lineup. We we may have to do some things to it uh, to enhance the, the driving performance a, a little bit more, take it up a little bit, mm-hmm. because I think that's one of the things that that one of the learnings that we've seen out of that vehicle that if it had a little bit more performance to it. It could, it could really take up the, uh, the sales level even more. Tom, we're down to the very end here, but a quick comment about your retailers. What are they asking you for? I mean, they've got to be happy more as cars. clients, right? But what besides are they asking more cars. for? That yeah, can't be the that, answer. That's got to be. <laughs> that's, the, that's what Michelle, well, the, I guess besides more cars, uh, one, of the, one of the things that the retailers uh, are asking us for is to help them with all the capacity issues on the service side. You know, we've grown so quickly and so many units in operation. And when you look at the, the locations and, the, and, and where the, our, our retailers are located in a lot of the major cities, they're in great spots. But the problem is they're not scalable. And so we have to help them to find ways where they can get more, they can expand their service capacity, more lifts, more technicians. And that's what we're working on with, the, with our retailers now. Do you do that now. with satellites, help them build those? Potentially, if that's what it tends. But we'd like to have everything self-contained if we could. And with that, we're out of time. Tom Dahl, thanks so much for coming on and talking all about Subaru. Fantastic what's happening at the company. It's a lot of fun to watch. Thanks, John. Th- thanks, thanks uh, Joe. Thanks, Michelle. Great to so see you. So good. Thank and you. I want to thank all of you for having tuned in. Underwriting for the production of Auto Line this week has been provided by.
Auto Line is brought to you in part by the commercial vehicle brands of Tenneco, pioneering global ideas for cleaner air and quieter, smoother, and safer transportation. Warner, developing advanced technologies specifically aimed at reducing emissions, increasing fuel economy, and improving performance. Our award-winning innovations extend from turbocharging and cooling systems to friction materials and diesel cold start technology. Built on a century-long reputation of innovation and reliability, we have the track record that proves our technology can help meet the challenges of the commercial truck and off-highway industry. Deloitte's Automotive Group is at the forefront, driving transformation and tackling complex challenges. Whether you are interested in globalizing operations, optimizing supply chains, mitigating enterprise risk, or driving innovation, Deloitte can help develop solutions that create long-lasting value. To learn more about Deloitte's Automotive Group, visit us online at deloitte.com backslash US backslash automotive.